in his 1972 book, The World of Star Trek. David Gerald wrote that science fiction at its best was the postulation of an alternate reality with which to comment on this one. On this podcast, a fan of Trek and a fan of everything but Trek will come together to search for reflections of this pandemic life by watching and discussing contagious disease-themed episodes from the Star Trek universe. My name is Brian Apple, and I am here with Caroline Harmondero. Tonight's episode, From the Next Generation, Contagion. Original air date, March 20th, 1989. Following a distress call from an old friend, Captain Donald Varley, the Enterprise enters the neutral zone to rescue and repair the broken-down USS Yamato before nearby Romulans detect their trespass. The ship, on its way to an archaeological dig on the mysterious dead planet Hakania, is falling apart in multiple ways, but the captain feels it's too premature to evacuate. After the Enterprise crew tries to learn how they can assist with repairing the numerous system failures, which are being attributed to design flaws, the USS Yamato combusts. Over 100 crew and families on board are killed before their eyes. In researching Varley's captain's logs related to their Iconian mission, Picard learns that Varley intended to convince him to continue the Iconian mission, which might not have been hard to do given that both Picard and Captain Varley had been interested in Iconian legend and archaeology for decades. They refer to the planet as a galactic Rosetta Stone, with multiple languages descended from ancient Iconian. Geordi, the engineer, works feverishly to discover what could have caused all of the Yamato systems to break down in quick succession. Meanwhile, Captain Picard is interested in approaching and examining an Iconian probe that visited the Yamato and may carry some useful information. Geordi realizes that the Iconian probe caused the breakdown of the Yamato by transmitting malicious software to overwrite the ship's programming. While he tries to get that message to the bridge, the Enterprise starts malfunctioning just as the Yamato had, and Geordi arrives just in time so that the probe can be destroyed. However, the malware has started its destructive work, and the turbo lifts, communicators, and Dr. Pulaski's bone knitter, among many other things, are breaking down. Over Riker's objections, Picard decides to lead an away team with Worf and Data to the Iconian planet. Once there, Romulan Commander Taurus asserts that she has claimed the planet and is pleased to have found one of the Iconian probes. At the Enterprise's pleading, Taurus destroys the probe, but not before they too are infected with malware. In an Iconian station, Data, Worf, and Picard see a mysterious portal to a rotating series of destinations around the galaxy. They are unsure if it's a hologram or has real power, and if it is real, whether it might be weaponized by the Romulans. Just as Picard decides to destroy the field station and its portal, Data begins to malfunction, as his programming is being rewritten, but he is able to communicate a plan to explode the station. Data, Worf, and Picard use the untested portal and return safely to the Enterprise, where Data makes a self-correcting recovery, and Geordi transmits corrective active plans he has devised and implemented on the Enterprise to the Romulan ship just in time to save them from self-destructing. Well, first, I mean, obviously, this is not a 
episode about a contagious disease that is biologically based, but a contagious disease of technology. And throughout the episode, there are a lot of failures of technology beyond the ship. And then, you know, in most of the episodes we've watched, there's a, there is a droid who isn't affected by such and such disease but in this episode data is the most affected right right because he's a he's a synthetic being so that was kind of a reversal of most of the episodes we've been watching and looking at the technology the the failures of the technology connect to some of our conversations about infrastructure and how ill-prepared we are for anything to do with COVID-19 but especially the infrastructure around medicine and community care and elements like that. So my friend's boss, who's this older gentleman and has a whole bunch of responsibility for the crisis funding in the area, and he doesn't know how to work from home. He can't sign anything. He can't scan anything. He can, you know, barely get along without printing out every email. So it's really uh, super fascinating how what's being revealed, you know, during these days about what, um, how behind we are technologically in a lot of areas, especially students being judged and graded. And if they're graded, they're basically being graded on their access to technology, at least in a district like ours, where there's such a huge digital divide and they have not filled it. The district hasn't been able to afford to fill it. So it's like they're their mind is being judged based on their technology now. And that's one of the things, because the episode had the technology being what was failing. Yeah, so I think this disease is kind of laying bare what was already problematic about our access to technology, but also um, causing so many advances in it. But I think... um, the way it affects the ship as a disease, I think, is kind of how we're crippled during technolo- by our technology during COVID-19 reminds me of the time a few months ago when our city was attacked by external malware and um, a lot of the city systems shut down for a couple of weeks. And we saw how easy it would be to attack an entire city through, you know, malicious software or whatever. Right, um, and that was even small. I mean, that was that was ba- that that those weren't even major systems that could physically harm us. I mean, those weren't that wasn't the electrical grid or the water purification. I mean, that was the lowest minimum they could have attacked, and it still wreaked havoc throughout the city. How did you like the captain who turns down evacuation? a minute before their entire ship explodes. Everything's always happening a minute before in Star Trek. Yeah. (laughs) Everything's getting wrapped up in the last 30 seconds. Very, very simply. (laughs) Complex problems are wrapped up very neatly. Um, It's it's satisfying. Um, I think, uh, yeah, he's saying evacuation would be premature. And I think that really, there's so many times during January and February and March that our country could have made preparations but felt they were premature. So, but 
on the smarter, better ship, everyone's sort of racing around and realizing they don't have enough time. And comparing the U.S. to other countries, I think there's a definitely a piece about response times and parsing the information very quickly and taking action quickly rather than kind of putting off the testing for political expedience or putting off contact tracing and all the other tactics that we could have started sooner. Right. And not even putting it off, but just not doing it altogether as, as we've decided the crisis is over and we can just not do the contact, contact tracing in our country at all. Yeah. It's kind of piecemeal. The other thing that was interesting was how the, the first ship the, that the friend was on had decided that it was definitely a design flaw and was not, not thinking about all of the ancient technology that he uncovered and interacted with <laughs> and this mysterious probe. I mean, none of that was mentioned or seen as a possibility of causing all of this damage. Um, because he had it in his mind that it was a design flaw. Um, I don't know if you saw it today, but the president who's been talking about the medicine that works so well that other people are saying this is not not a safe thing for the majority of people to take. It seems like in his mind he had it made up. And he's claimed that he's been taking it for two weeks. And it's the same kind of mindset that the, a person's first thought is the thought that's correct and there's no reason to ever change it because when you have that much confidence but it's more like an arrogant confidence why would you ever change your mind you you know what it is and 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 you're going to attack it like that that's uh that's scary that he is modeling that because his family his family benefits right from the sales of that drug that's what i've read his son-in-law Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, another thing that I noticed was, and it was a small thing, but obviously the Romulans are the bad guys. And I did pick up on that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for outlining it for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. Well, and they've always been the bad guys. And, and, um, oh, I was wondering about that. So this is a consistent bad guy for. Well, yeah, actually, I, I, I'm almost certain if I'm remembering the order of the original series, they were like the first bad guys to ever be introduced, even like the first like these are the bad guys. Like in other episodes, there were bad guys of the week, but it was the first time it was like these these Romulans are really bad. They they actually out predate the Klingons who became the ma- more major bad guys as the show developed. But um, so the Romulans are these bad guys and. I really appreciated that for a brief moment, the ships decided to stand down from each other and maybe not even help each other, but decided not to attack each other. And it's so bizarre to me that worldwide, there is not an actual realistic collective effort to solve to solve the problem of COVID-19. And it seems like every time I read about a vaccine or every time I read about resources, there are individual countries doing it. And certainly it has to do with maintaining power or gaining power or, or something along those lines. But it's just, I, surely 
collective work would be a lot better than individual work in a situation like this. I'm not sure that I know. I'm not sure that I know that that's not happening. I think we're, um, we just have our United States lens. So if we're opting out of all the work that World Health Organization is doing and UNICEF is doing and UN is doing, then we just, we're not hearing about it every day. I see that's, that's, that's very scary to me. Absolutely. Uh, But it doesn't mean it's not happening. No. So yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I think it's, it, I think I am speaking from a U.S. perspective and that's my ignorance on it. And then maybe the country's collective ignorance on it is, is scary to me because we should not, we should be moving more and more towards global cooperation. And if we're just simply ignoring it, that's, that's not a good sign. But, but I mean, and you were saying the other day that we're, we're not just ignoring it, we're deliberately hobbling it by, you know, not paying into our share of World Health Organization yeah. for not just now, but in like we're in debt, not having been paying our dues for a long time yeah. during this administration. Uh, that's, that's not wise. And wasn't it that we had a shared lab with, within Wuhan province? And we had withdrawn our scientists from there like last year or something. I can't remember. I well, that's, that up. that's uh, well, we withdrew them. Uh, well, not maybe this isn't why we withdrew them, but that shared lab is why a lot of people are saying um, this was an Obama plot. Right, right. Which we also saw in this episode because as her ship is exploding around her and Picard mysteriously appears on her bridge. The first she thing says, she does you did is a, this. right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like it's such a, it is such a, uh, just a frustrating response that that's what we are doing right now. I mean, in in all of our possible good things that are happening in terms of at least the first wave going away, we're still just kind of flailing about what 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 this means for us, what we can learn from it, what we can do for it, and just looking for people to blame or people to be angry at it's it's so mind-boggling yeah and i think this episode's really interesting about the how we demonize what we don't understand how we demonize our enemies how we um how the story of battles is told by the victor and so you you sort of demonize the loser in the past that you didn't even know anything about and that hasn't had a chance to tell their own story so and calling the Iconians demons of air and darkness and I think that it's really it's another example of that where you know she's um, assuming malicious intent from her longtime enemy which is exactly what we're engaging in with the conspiracy theories and with the demonizing of Asian Americans and with these specific attacks on the Chinese people and they are so specific because often like when people are referring to the virus and they're making the claim, they're just saying where it came from, but they're not saying the virus from China or the China virus. They're saying the Chinese virus, which I think is a very deliberate attempt to turn it into a virus from this 
um, non-white group that we can blame for whatever goes wrong. Speaking of damage, I think there's this great scene where um, Wesley comes into Picard's office and says, so all these people died and it doesn't seem to bother you guys. How how old is that character supposed to be? Um, he like I don't know specifically. He's supposed to be, I mean, in his early high school years, like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, somewhere along there. He gets that character is resoundly disliked by most Star Trek fans. Aww. But I mean, I I don't dislike him at all. But typically. Star Trek fans, for some reason, don't like him. I think, well, I'll withhold opinions. Hmm. But the scene that he comes in to talk to Picard about the people who were killed. Yeah, like how they watched, you know, over 100 people die before their eyes that they had just been on the screen speaking to and the leader having been Picard's friend. And he's like, how do you handle this? I mean, all these people died. And I think that's... Um, so much a part of our lives today, like hearing who died this week and getting used to numbers that are like, you know, 3,000 a day. There's just a mounting individual and collective grief and and we're not allowed to mourn it in the ways that we've learned to mourn, you know, as, a commu- as communities of um, faith or in our friend communities, like we're not allowed to have funerals and um mm-hmm. it's just a it's this huge buildup of of grief and i have you know several friends now who've lost parents during the pandemic either from the virus or not but just not allowed to be with them and you know that's just so unbearable um and i think that there's this way where we compartmentalize and we put up our put things you know away from us in boxes and think that it's not going to affect us and children are like hey hi hi all these people dying you know it's it's just a really it's very good writing you know to have the young person questioning that yeah why do you think do you think it's because we're not allowed to mourn in any of the traditional ways that that were so dismissive collectively of this astronomical number of deaths that, I mean, it's over 90,000 now. We were shut down for so long after 9-11, which just under 3,000 people died. And constantly, I mean, every... That's what we have every day. I can't remember how many tributes there were, rightfully so, where just the names were read over and over and over and over again. And now it just seems like... I mean, barely are even the numbers read out on a day-to-day basis unless you go looking for them. And I'm wondering why, why, why is it different? Why is it? I mean, certainly it's different because one was an attack from people, but still it seems like a big enough tragedy that we, there should be some kind of different reaction to it other than the lack of traditional mourning ability. Yeah, I think that um, sort of cynically, I think that there's a lot that's been written about the re- the election and Trump feeling that if he acknowledges 
the scope of what's going on that he looks bad. So the more he can sort of bury things, the better for his reelection. But also, I, I don't think it's just about the White House. I think that there's like a lack of national leadership. There could have been, you know, some sort of spiritual or popular leader to come forward and lead some sense of national memorial or mourning. And that hasn't doesn't seem to have happened either. It's just not even close to being on our minds the way that it should or the way that you would guess it it could um there's another there's a star trek episode that somebody wrote about an editorial recently and i can't i couldn't find it so this is not my idea or my my history lesson there's an episode that apparently gene roddenberry felt that we had become desensitized as a country to the vietnam casualties that were just being shown every night on the news as a number. And so there's this whole episode where these two planets have found a way to fight a war where the people, you just, the, each planet gets a number and that's how many people they have to euthanize that night. So it became a lot more organized. And hmm. in, in arguing with those people, Captain Kirk says, but you've made it so neat and painless. And I feel like that, that's kind of talking about what the how the country is dealing with things right now. Like the sites that I go to to look up information on the infection rate and and the death rate and everything, the spreadsheets are just impeccable, <laughs> and they're so organized and so um, sanitized from any sense that each number on there is a person, mm-hmm. uh, and each person comes from a family and comes from who knows how many connections mm-hmm. and I don't get the sense that we're doing what Picard talked about which was more like oh we we think about that but we also have to get out of this situation that we're in um, it's more like we're just not going to think about that ever like do you think when we come out of this people will catch up on their morning I mean will we be having funeral after funeral after funeral or What's it going to look like? Yeah, a memorial. Yeah, I hope there's going to be lots of different memorials. I mean, my old boss that died of cancer right before we went on shutdown, like her memorial, I guess, came like two weeks after the the rules were put in place. So her death had nothing to do with COVID-19, but like I'm sure that they'll do a memorial for her later. So I think there's going to be many, many, many thousands from the ones that didn't happen as well as the COVID-19 ones. Well, that's what we'll do every weekend, I guess. Wasn't it like a lot of places, a third of the population dying in the 1918 influenza? Oh, yeah, yeah. Were they just more used to dealing with death on, on a daily basis? Was it something that they were more capable of handling those kind of numbers? I mean, it was also in the middle of World War One. So even though it killed more people than World War One, yeah. but I don't know, like how, what, what perspective did they have that might've been different from ours about death? Oh, definitely. My great, great grandmother that I was named after around that time, she was, she had had 10 children and three had died as babies wow. yeah. and, uh, and then she herself died at the age of 40. So yeah, I think, I think all of that, but I, I mean, I wonder if our kids will be like, thought of in those terms too like 
they were used to death. But I don't know if they will be. I mean, for them, are they seeing it the same way that kids in 1918 would have seen it? Like, I don't know if we're connected the same way that we used to be. Like, for example, there's someone who lives on the corner of our street and the street that intersects with it. And we wave to the, the guy as he walks his dog every day. But we don't know his name. We don't know very much about him. We don't know anything about him. I think his name's John. And the other day, some people were moving some stuff out of his house. And we don't have any idea what happened. And he could very well have died from anything. He could have died from COVID-19. But had we been living in a different time 100 years ago, we probably would have been a lot more connected with him and had a much more intimate connection with his death. It's possible death affects us less because we're less interconnected with each other or less willing to acknowledge that we're interconnected with each other. Mm -hmm. So, and then I was also thinking about the, the gateway that appears when they're on that, you know, substation or whatever it is. And this portal shining wavy portal appears and they're not sure if it's a hologram or if it's real and if they walk through it if they um if they'll die or if they'll end up where they want to be or if they'll end up you know thousands of light years away so and then they also talk about whether that could be weaponized um, and if people could use it against each other and so that was reminding me of like the kind of shining excitement of being able to kind of come out of quarantine and lifting restrictions in a lot of states and this, whether it's, is it a gateway to going back to our old life or is it a trick that's going to end up costing us lives? And it just reminded me because in, you know, here in town that there was some communication of lifting restrictions and people started having huge parties and, um, there was just tons of police trying to break up big gatherings that actually hadn't been allowed. So, and then my friend on Facebook was calling them the police helicopters like dystopia copters because they're like, right. flying overhead. People are trying to put three-year-olds to bed or keep three-year-olds asleep. And there's like 1 a.m. a helicopter over your house saying, get out of that party. Yeah. So that was just reminding me of the, the hologram portal. It, and it is it is such an enticing promise that we want to believe. Yeah. But then Absolutely. A virus of unknown origin spreads through three starships. One captain blames the ship, ignoring the questionable choices that brought the virus on board. One captain seeks to exhaust her fury onto whoever she feels is to blame for this atrocity. One captain seeks to find out what is actually happening so it can be stopped, saving the lives in his charge and the ship under his command. A virus is spreading through our country. As of this recording, we are on the threshold of losing more than 100 thousand lives and COVID-19 isn't stopping. Do we ignore the choices we are making that helps the virus spread? 
Do we turn our eyes and ears away from what is within our control in order to assign blame? Or do we try to find out exactly what is happening and direct our course of action to save lives and perhaps even our country?